Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1319 entitled Tenet Pole Movies. They're back. (laughs) Our podcast title is We're Living in a Twilight Pod. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. <laughs> and and we've been back to the cinema. We have. Oh my gosh! I don't know about you. I did go to the drive-in a week or two ago, but this was my first time in a cinema, sitting in a cinema seat, other people, big screen, the whole shebang, and it felt great. I was so happy. <laughs> what did you What did you see at the drive-in? Uh, I went and saw a Christmas film called Happiest Season. <laughs> as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. And, um, yeah, so I had seen – previously I had been to the movies per se, but this was my first trip to the cinema. Okay. Uh, Mm. Mm. Well, we'll we'll drill down a little bit into that in a moment. Uh, First off, I wanted to tell you strange discoveries this week, things (laughs) that I've been checking out. Um, Mm. Probably the weirdest thing was I discovered on YouTube – Let's let's call it a conspiracy theory. Oh, and, okay. And look, usually conspiracy theories they're they're nonsensical tinfoil hat sort of stuff. But if mm-hmm. you if you really want your ultimate conspiracies, you got to go to to genre fandom. Okay. Yep. Because <laughs> they just make everything else look dumb. <laughs> Even the dumb things look dumber. <laughs> so okay, there's this guy on on YouTube. He's got a little channel, and you can just um look this up at your whim Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he has got a theory that Snowpiercer the movie Mm -hmm. is is actually a sequel to (laughs) Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory okay (laughs) and you can see where he's going with this because the W symbol Mm -hmm. and he reckons that Mr Wilford is actually um, Charlie Bucket grown up Interesting. all right i mean i'm open to anything i'm open to all kinds of theories if they're well formed so yeah the the youtube uh thing to go to uh, to look up is <laughs> snowpiercer is a sequel to charlie and the chocolate factory <laughs> and i and i swear i that was a, it's a brilliant 15 minutes well spent <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, now, David Tennant does a podcast with. Hmm. So don't get excited. Not with us. So a wee discovery I made this week, um, and I'd had heard about it, but I hadn't actually had a look at it or, or listened to it. Not Star Trek Disco. Hmm. <laughs> uh, former 11th Doctor David Tennant has mercilessly exploited his industry connections to produce two series of a killer podcast of amiably listenable interviews. Yes, think Doctor Who, Broadchurch, Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. and many others. You know, those uh, 
degrees of separation. So <laughs> these are these are very intimate little interviews with Whoopi Guinan Goldberg, Olivia Coleman from The Crown, the thirteenth mm-hmm. Doctor herself, Jodie Whittaker, oh, Sir Ian McKellen, John Hamm. John Hamm. Yes, who I think still I still think would have made a far better Doctor Strange. Uh, actually, no, maybe not a far better one, but still I would have liked to have seen him do it. Uh, Jennifer alias Garner, Catherine Donna Noble Tate, Kristen Jessica Jones Ritter, mm-hmm. in which we hear that she's also a knitter. She's a big knitter. I follow her on Instagram and she got um, the – who plays Daredevil? Charlie – I can't remember your name. Sorry, Charlie. Got him into knitting. They were knitting in the breaks. She's a big wool craft gal. I love it. So we should call her Ritter Knitter. Anyway, he's also got Tina Fey, David Tennant's Good Omens co-star Michael Sheen, and indeed Good Omens co-author Neil Gaiman. We've got Jim Sheldon Cooper Parsons, uh, Dame Judi Dench, I would not dare give her a nickname. Uh, Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek. Oh, cool. And Australia's own Tim Minchin. Oh, wow. He's also managed to co-opt Brian Cox, Elizabeth Moss, and Billy Rose Tyler Piper, amongst others. And it's celebrity to celebrity, so there's no power imbalance Mm. either way, and none of us awful... (laughs) (laughs) media types involved. Uh, So he proves a very dab hand at just nudging the conversation along with very neat segues. It's very personable and basically just brilliant. So you could go to uh, www.david-tenant.com or just Google, you know, or or whatever your favourite search engine is. Uh, David Tennant does a podcast with, and there's two series, and it's absolutely great listening. Yeah. All right. So from Tenet to Tenet, T-E-N-E-T, Christopher Nolan's new movie. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> the experience. Well, look, I've never really had a, a particular cinema of my own. I, I've never really lived close enough to one or they pulled them down or mm. uh, I've been getting around to too many different ones, some of the multiplexes and also lots of previews. So mm-hmm. it's all a bit of a, a confused picture for me, a bit of a potpourri over time. So I'm not really wedded to picture palaces as a socio-cultural experience. I, I'm often there by myself or at odd hours and – and the pandemic's really nailed down that. So I find that I can just as well sit at home and watch discs or stream movies more comfortably, mostly cheaper and with less travel. Sorry, mm. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that said, it was still very pleasant to go to the cinema today and see a movie again for the first time since what? Since what, March or April? Mm. In mm-hmm. fact, I cannot even remember what the name of the last one was. I'd have to go back into the Zero G archives. I think it started with A. I. The last one I saw I remember very clearly was uh, Harley Quinn, the Birds of Prey film. Uh, that was the last one I saw in cinema. So, yes, hadn't been that was a long time ago now. Well, since we reviewed that on the show, maybe that was the last one I saw. I, I Maybe. It very well could have been, actually. Yeah. But, you know, they're really trying to entice you back into the cinema experience again. Mm. Um, the ads at the multiplex that I saw, they were promising – 
um, that it was uh, a vast experience to go and get the sound system and the big screen. And, yeah. And, but there were little little captions explaining that any group scenes in the ads had been filmed before COVID and masking and social distancing. It's a new world, isn't it? <laughs> and, um, and, and so I'm wearing a mask in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Good little boy. There's only six people in the cinema. Yep. And I bet you had plenty of room around you as well, the bubble-type seating where you're not near anybody. Oh, absolutely, because they had like <laughs> alternate rows, you know, Mm-mm-mm. as well, this yep. row not used. And, and, you know, but wearing a mask in the cinema, once again, that's is very far from being the most uncomfortable thing that I've worn in a theatre. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can remember when I was that I emceed a, a retro showing of Forbidden Planet and War of the Worlds once at the Arts Centre. So I mm. got dressed up in my full stainless steel Klingon armour. <laughs> so I, after I'd done the emceeing, instead of doing the sensible thing and trotting off and changing, I sat there through two feature films oh. in full armour. And this, Dedication. this is not one of those ones that's particularly comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, a little cloth mask. <laughs> anyway, they showed us trailers um, for um, Mila's uh, Monster Hunter ah. mm-hmm. and the new old period set Kingsman, mm-hmm. uh, Wonder Woman. Oh, yes, can't wait for that one. 1984. And uh, Bling, um, I was going to say Bling Widow <laughs> <laughs> for no particular reason, uh, Black Widow, of course. So, yeah, you know, those all of those movies, they look like they're going to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny uh, hearing you reflect on your relationship with the cinema because I think I'm probably quite different in that I have a very strong emotional attachment to the cinema because uh, I've worked in uh, cinema before. That was kind of some of my formative years of being a cinema usher um, and my partner was a film projectionist when film was still much more common than what it is now. And so for me, the cinema, I used to go all the time and I used to see everything. And even since then, obviously, um, I was a film critic, like I used to write reviews and then now with Zero G. So I've always been trotting along to the cinema regularly to keep up to date on what's coming out and then write reviews and absorb. And so for me, going to the cinema is such a huge experience like I love watching something on my couch like I haven't minded being able to just flick on Disney plus and keep on the track pants and you know make as much noise as I want with my snacks Um, but it was really nice to get back in the cinema and have that collective experience and um, just the energy of being inside a cinema I love as well and I obviously as well you know Rob when we're reviewing something or we often end up trotting along by ourselves because you know timing and just trying to squeeze it in and so I do really love that experience as well but so it was really nice to get back in the cinema and I also have a local that I love that's a community cinema has a really big ties to the community and so on and so forth not that I'm against the multiplex like also love to trot along to one of those bigger cinema chains and sit in one of their recliners. But uh, I think getting to go back to my community, my local, and um, support them and be back, you know, that was that was such a nice experience. And, I, I mean, I think it's all about balance again, like as we head into COVID normal, um, you know, still supporting local cinema and things but also knowing we can watch things at home because they're more available now. I think um, it's only going to be good options for us for watching all the good stuff that's coming up. And, and you know, you're right, uh, supporting the local businesses and stuff because 
part of the cinema going experience for me is uh, is going doing a little shopping afterwards or beforehand mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, it's all geek shopping, so nothing particularly <laughs> exciting for any normal human being. Although, when you think about it, <laughs> we are normal. Uh, and it was great to see some businesses that had survived. Mm-hmm. Some hadn't. Yeah. I was very sad to see a couple of bookshops that uh, were no longer Ooh. there. And yeah. But the place that sells gelati. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because, <laughs> look, I'm not a chop-top person. I do love them, but they, you know, they're not value for money, so I don't get them. But, you know, outside, gelati. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, we don't have to sit at home and charge ourselves outrageous prices for popcorn that we make. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, enough of the experience. Let's have a <laughs> let's have a track to mm. to uh to foretell the events of Tenet. And that would be a track called Freeport by our old friend Ludwig Goranson. Now, this is the guy who does The Mandalorian. And normally with a Christopher Nolan um, soundtrack, you'd expect to be Hans Zimmer. But he was not not busy doing Dune. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So there's another one we'll look forward to seeing on the big screen. I mean, it's either that or I take my iPad down the beach and just look at the sand and sort of um, use sando, Sando Round to enhance the scale. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero-G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. Ludwig Goronsson. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, here's uh, my star composer at the moment because I'm mm. just tripping out over the Mandalorian soundtrack all the time. It's fantastic. It's such a good – the Mandalorian theme is one of my favourite scores of recent years. It's so good. Mm. But this is Freeport, mm-hmm. part of the soundtrack of Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet. Not Tenant, Tenet. <laughs> T-E-N-E-T, which, interestingly enough, reads the same from both directions. Now, Christopher Nolan, Batman Trilogy, The Prestige, Mm -hmm. Inception, Interstellar, and Dunkirk Mm -hmm. as well. And all of these films actually contain signs and portents and tropes and themes that are actually included in this new film. So... No surprises there, really. (laughs) (laughs) Some surprises, but not of the uh, theme type, no, or of the uh, metaphor type, I guess. Now, this film has been delayed three times because of certain events in the real world beyond the silver screen. And so they did release it uh, fairly late this year in the UK and the US. And now, well, we've had it here for a little bit of a time, depending on where you are. And, of course, we've just recently been released from our wonderful state of lockdown. (laughs) So here we are being able to watch it in the big screen for the first time. Uh, It hasn't made a huge amount of money 
as you'd expect one of these movies to make generally worldwide normally, but, you know, it's COVID normal mm. at the moment. But mm. nevertheless, it's still the fourth highest grossing film of 2020. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. And, well, he's been working on this concept for quite some time. Mm, doesn't surprise me. There's a lot to unpack, of which we won't spoil, but I can imagine a lot of thought would have had to go into this project. Mm. It opens somewhat ironically within a fully seated opera house, Ooh, yeah. which actually startled me because I'm, I'm I'm watching it on the big screen and suddenly all these people <laughs> all close together. Yeah. <laughs> no empty rows in between them, no seats left vacant next to them. Ah. <laughs> It was a big opener, like definitely made a statement and, yeah, really came on with a bang. Mm. But, yeah, not just because of all the uh, not spaced out crowds. And what happens next is something that's way more complicated than the anticipated and perhaps even inevitable act of terrorism. It is, after all, a Christopher Nolan science fiction movie and he has form. So I expected Mm. all of that. Enter one of our protagonists who actually is called the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And we will learn that he is playing for some very, very high stakes indeed. Now, if you want to know absolutely nothing about this film, proceed no further. Uh, we'll see you on the other side of the door. <laughs> I will tell you, and this is in the trailer more or less, that it involves mucking around with time, but in a rather special, almost unique in mm. in movie tropes way. Not entirely unique, but almost. The rules are explained rather quickly, which we shall not do because it gives the game away. <laughs> yeah, we want to keep some things a mystery, I think, which will be uh, to your benefit yes. if you haven't seen it yet. So the first thing that we can do is is drill down into the the acting. There's mm. So do you want to lead off on that, Megan, please? Yeah, I'd love to. So our protagonist, very happy to see this fellow on screen. So we have John David Washington as the protagonist. Now, Washington, you might wonder, is he the son of someone? He is. He is Denzel's son. (laughs) And uh, we would have seen him before. I'm not sure if you would have seen, have you seen uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman, Rob? It's a historical film. It's based on a true story, based on a true man. So that was what I know him from, the film Black Klansman, which is exceptional. I know we covered The Five Bloods recently. And so I will say if you're a Lee fan and haven't seen that one, head along and you'll see a bit more of our mate John David in that as well. He's also been in a few other bits and pieces, but this is probably what's his biggest role to date. And he was actually a football player before he uh, joined the realms of his dad's uh, profession. So we've got him playing the protagonist. And personally, I felt that he, he had it like he could be, I mean, it's a very bond type character and we're talking as much action spy thriller as we are sci-fi with this one. And I thought he carried it pretty well. And actually finding out that he was a former football running running back, that actually made entire sense because, mm. you know, I'm into the uh, the stunts and the fight choreography and watching a lot of the stuff involved him doing a lot of running. Yeah, and having that athletic form, like very believable and really great, like the athleticism was, was outstanding. Mm. <laughs> um, and he has actually interesting chemistry with the uh, – 
the female lead, or at least one of the female leads in the, in the story, and I thought that worked quite well. And it's a very subtle sort of delicate thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not, well, I won't give too much away, but it's not a cliche, I thought. Agree. I thought that the form the forming of that um, relationship between those two characters um, and sort of how they interact with each other I thought was a really nice nuanced depiction for a change in this type of movie. Mm. Uh, so that is, of course, Kat, played by Elizabeth Debicki, who is an Australian actress, and she probably uh, is most well-known maybe for her role in The Great Gatsby, but she was also in The Man from UNCLE, which we enjoyed, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, and a few other bits and pieces, uh, but I think and she think she's slated for a role in The Crown coming up as well. But um, she she has a really hefty role in this one, and I thought I think she is great to watch. I think she's very elegant, and I think she has a real presence uh, and a strength. I don't know. I really liked her, but I've I've liked her in all of her roles. I thought she had. <laughs> I was saying this about uh, Simmons last week in. Um... <laughs> in Palm Springs, she has great eyes. Mm, very much, yeah. yeah. And, <clears throat> and because she's in a kind of a a gaslighting, entrapped relationship in this film, she has to do a lot of sort of acting with her eyes. And I know this mm. is basic craft, but, <laughs> but she actually got to me with that. And I'm thinking, mm. oh, you poor thing. Agree. I think she has a very actually well-rounded character in this and I think that's a lot from her portrayal this could have been a very cut and paste type Mm, of role mm. and I think she's really fleshed it out into something quite nice Mm. um and who else we've got we've also got now this is a role that I was happy to kind of see him playing something fairly down the line so this is um Robert Robert Pattinson Mm -hmm. as Neil so he is uh, working with our protagonist and they have a bit of a lovely energy between them as well. And so he's kicking butt throughout this film and has a pretty pivotal role as well, which we won't delve too much into, but let's just say he's he's a key part of this whole story. Of course, we know him from the Twilight um, films and he was also Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And since those roles, like he doesn't get enough chops for his work that he's done in films like High Life and Good Times and The King. And, of course, he will be our new Batman. Well, he's worked in um, David Cronenberg's Cosmopolis mm, and mm-hmm. in that in that uh, Lost City of Z. Yes. Oh, was he in that? Yeah, oh. yeah. And also in uh, the, the High Life movie, as we were saying, that is actually a science fiction um, mm. movie, uh, and Lighthouse. Yes, of course. How could I forget uh, the recent Black and White Lighthouse, which, I mean, he is flexing his chops, but it was very fun to see him play this kind of action role. He's this kind of Englishman and he's sort of along for the ride and kicking butt as well. And I really enjoyed, I think it was nice to see him in a role like this. And I think he can definitely do this type of role as well as the the kind of weird indie stuff he's been doing. Well, you know, speaking of the weird indie stuff, I remember him in The Rover. I remember when we reviewed that oh, in, yes. in David Michaud's The Rover, which yeah, is a, of course. a post-apocalyptic road movie. Mm-hmm. And and I thought, he's actually much better than he is in Twilight in that. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, he was pretty young. Exactly. Or, and I think. Or young and pretty, let's be honest. <laughs> I think a lot of the time those roles are a stepping stone up into being able to do the type of weird, crazy stuff he's been doing now. And uh, I can't 
fault him for that. I mean, it is what it is. So if, uh, I, could ch- if I could only jump forwards in time and see him in in twenty years, mm. see what sort of actor he's matured into, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think he is going to go on a very interesting journey, uh, so to say the least. Um, I mean, I hesitate. Should we should we talk a little bit about Cat's um, husband? Maybe not in too much detail, but. Look, it's not an unusual, it seems like it might be an unusual role for Kenneth Branagh to play, but it's not mm. that unusual. Um, he's, he is, as we were saying, the, the, the husband of the, the female lead. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a, a Russian oligarch. And look, it's not the first villain that we've seen Kenneth play. Uh, the Wild Wild West, <laughs> where he was cybernetically steampunked enhanced mm-hmm. um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein where he oh, yeah. where he's a scientist who gets carried away with unholy medical experimentation <laughs> and of course um you know look we, he, his star is actually on the on the medium sort of rise I mean he did he 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 created the epic Thor feeling for um mm-hmm. the Marvel franchise um, he recently played William Shakespeare in all is true Oh, yes. And, of course, he's got those two Agatha Christie movies. Yeah, so he's uh, doing the Poirot thing in Murder on the Orient Express and also in Death on the Nile. And, I mean, mixed feelings about Murder on the Orient Express, but um, I'm willing to give Death on the Nile a go. So, But he was formidable in this role. I was I was afraid of him and I would yeah. never have thought I'd say that of Kenneth Branagh. I was like, oh, Kenneth Branagh, whatever. Um, he, he was also in Harry Potter, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, playing Gilderoy Lockhart. But I, he was horrific. It's a great effect here. You know that uh, commercial, I think it's for some flavoured milk or something like that, where there's a guy who goes uh, hungry, uh, hungry, you know, he's sort of saying I'm, I'm hungry all the time. And <laughs> Well, this one, I, I think he's creepy all the time. He's, yes. he's, he's like creepy scary and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like this guy would like, oh, I yeah, and I hats off to him. I would never have thought he could be that yuck and he, he did a really good job, I think. I mean, I guess that he's acting. So, uh, but, yeah, it was interesting to see him in a role like this. Ken, have you been hiding your villainy? Under, yeah, I know. Uh, underneath him. A bushel or something. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, just a nice old Englishman. Look at me playing bumbling Poirot. But yeah. here he's like, oof, wouldn't want to cross him. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> no, indeed. Um, another, there's an actor who I will not mention by mm-hmm. name because it's a, it's a sweet little cameo and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just a cameo. He has yeah. appeared in Christopher Nolan's films before, but, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of fun to see him appear Agreed. in this one. Let's not mention him. Let's not mention him. But we will mention. Uh, Dimple Kapadia. Now she's mm. she's a a fine Indian actress who has been in many many Hindi films. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of circled through, forwards and backwards through her career, and here she is, sort of appearing in this one. And she's not the only. She's playing a, a, an Indian character in this, uh, and she's not the only great political Machiavellian uh, mature Indian woman character I've seen recently because I've been watching The Expanse. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and it's great. I just love this. She's 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 an awesome character Amazing. in this. 
Totally. I was so happy with her, like when it was revealed a bit more about her role and that character, I was like, like, this is great. And I really liked that element of the film as well, that it's, it is very, um, and I don't want to make, you know, sound try and be like, it's very diverse, but I like that, you know, there's a lot of these spy thrillers that take place in all different parts of the world and we zip and zap, but everybody's white and British and everybody's walking around being white and British. And we actually have a bit of a range of different types of people in this. And, and I do really like that about the film. Hey, did you put um, Fiona DeReef in this? Fiona. Yeah. Brad, Brad DeReef's daughter. Oh. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at her and thinking, I know your face. You know, in that in that sort of genetic way that that fathers yeah, and daughters sure. have, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thinking, yep. familiar, oh. yeah. And of course, she's acted alongside her her father. But she, we also know her from uh, Curse of Chucky. Perhaps we do not wish to know her from that. <laughs> 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 oh, and somebody else in in, in here. Um, yes, I, I I don't know if we're thinking the same way, but I am thinking quickly. Yes, and uh, <laughs> I was very happy to see Aaron Taylor Johnson pop up. So he pops up in the film. And I was like, did not know you were going to be here, Aaron. Happy to see you. So we know him, of course, as his rolling as Quicksilver in Avengers Age of Ultron. And he was in Kick-Ass as well. And he was also in Nocturnal Animals, which was a really fine film by Tom Ford as well. Mm. Um, yeah, and, you know, Godzilla. He was in an Anna Karenina. Uh, he's love seeing him. I think he, you know, his role here is um, not huge. But uh, he does a good job of it, and I think he was a nice choice. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought he was excellent. I'm thinking, I know you. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying watching him thinking, strip the beard off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took I, – I, like, recognised him in an instant, and I said to my friend, I was like, it's Aaron Taylor Johnson because he does look just different enough from some of his more recent stuff that you, like, take a second to recognise him. Mm. So um, I guess maybe the last two will just mention that appear uh, in smaller roles, Clements Posey. Uh, she explains a little bit of our exposition for us. She, of course, was in Harry Potter as well as Fleur Delacour, and oh, she was in in, oh. in Bruges with um, Colin Farrell. We'll, so We'll call her Professor Ex- Exposition. Totally. That's what she's there for, and she did a fine job of it. Uh, and then, of course, Himesh Patel, who was in Yesterday, that um, Beatles time thing that I actually didn't see, so I'm not sure if that's any good, but he pops up in a minor uh, but important role as well. So nice to see those guys pop up, fan of both of them. Well, there's a connection. Aaron Taylor Johnson was in the John Lennon biopic Nowhere Boy. So yesterday, yeah. Yeah. So Harry Potter and uh, Beatles. So, yeah, I mean, so we've got a really interesting cast. I think the casting in this is really great. I think everybody did a really fantastic job. And not everybody plays exactly the role that you would think that they're playing. And there are Mm. some, you know, it's a Christopher Nolan film. There's some juggling around and some inversion of characters. And here's a track called Inversion. And, again, it's by Ludwig Göransson. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. Ooh. <laughs> Ludwig Göransson's inversion. And, you know, mm. his music actually is completely different for, for this movie, Tenet, mm. as opposed to his Mandalorian scores. Agree. Sign of a good composer. Mm. Now, I want to give a shout-out to the cinematographer Mm-hmm. of Tenet because the look of this film is really important and I feel that one of the things that um, 
Hoyt van Hoytema, who is mm-hmm. the Swiss-born but Dutch cinematographer of this film. Uh, he mm-hmm. has achieved something with this that's quite, well, not delicate, but robust. Mm-hmm. Everything's shot with a very convincing sense of scale and mass. Mm-hmm. Like they're shooting planes, trains, and automobiles. Actually, mm-hmm. maybe not trains, <laughs> but with a, a, a very definite feeling for the, the weight of the thing and, and the yes. size. And, mm. and it's all very dynamic and glossy or gritty depending on the circumstances. Yep. And this hit me in the face as I'm watching the film on the big screen. Yes, yep. there we are. <laughs> There's some shots of an airliner and a super yacht in particular that gave me a very strong sense of place yeah. and of what was yep. going on. And and these sorts of things can be overlooked when you're reviewing a film sometimes. But in this case, really, it's it's right there on the screen for me. And it's a bit of a get-around film too. Well, quite a bit, actually. As you were saying earlier on, Megan, uh, kind of a Bond sort of feeling, an international film in its settings, which is fun after lockdown. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> and I also thought that they hardly ever defaulted to cliched tourist brochure views of the many locations. It felt very fresh. And it was very much like it was all so plot driven, like everything here was planned, everything was there for a purpose. There's no misspent shot by any standard. So there's none of these sweeping establishing shots of areas that we don't care about. I would say this is extremely well thought out for many reasons, including the, the plot and including the things you need to prop up the plot. Uh, I agree. I think it was masterfully done. Mm. There's uh, always locations that are key in a Christopher Nolan movie. He's very specific about some of the places. There's, uh, you know, there's always one special one. And in in Interstellar, it's a a singularity in the prestige. Well, I suppose it's the stage and maybe also Tesla's lab. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And in Dunkirk, well, it's in the title of that one. <laughs> and in this one, there's a, a really good machine that features. And, yes. And also a, a battle site and the super yacht that we mentioned before. All of these things are really well shot and we get to know them. Yeah, we do. I agree. And and you kind of need those markers because at the same time you're trying to unpack <laughs> what's going on, <laughs> quite frankly. Now, the the gimmick of the movie, we told you it was a time travel movie, and we can't really identify the gimmick without giving the game away too much. And bemusingly enough, I've not seen it done so well before on this scale. Um, Since a particular scene in one of the Resident Evil movies, and that's a broad hint because there's a lot of those. Mm-mm. Agree. I will say I had thought of a couple of things I might mention here, but I'll decline because I don't want to ruin anything. But all I'll say is there's certain music videos that I think uh-huh. have used this type of thing because it's a short form. It works well in short form, which is why I'm in awe of the fact that Nolan has thought it out to a point where he can make a whole movie work around the concept. And, look, there's at least two other Nolan movies where he experiments with this idea as well. (laughs) It will baffle you and bewilder you, but even if you don't grasp it all, and at times it even confused me. (laughs) It got you. I mean, it, it got me too, and I was fine with it. Like there were some bits where I'm like, what is going on? But I'm okay with it because I'm here for the ride and I'll just think about it more later. 
Yeah, you know, I feel like grabbing a blackboard or a whiteboard and mm. <laughs> and sort of doing diagrams. And you and actually I think they do use a they do make a diagram on a board at one stage in the book. There is an important diagram that you can unpack more if yeah. you look into a bit more around the concepts. So there's some hints there for further reading, let's say. I think you're going to have three, one of three reactions to, to this. You'll either come away admiring the cool, intense procedural of it all, mm-hmm. or you'll come away sort of thinking, oh, Christopher Nolan, you're being just pretentious. <laughs> You know, uh, or, yeah. or else you just sort of have walked out as one person did in the screening and just oh, said, no. I've had enough. Or maybe they just okay. got an important phone call or something. I don't know. I think I think you're very much right. I think I admired the art of it and also just the execution. It was incredible to me. I thought there were certain scenes that just gave so much. I was like, wow, and that, and that fits together. And look at how they're doing that. And so that was delightful and that was what it, like that's what the movies can do for me. Like that's what it means sometimes when you go into a cool movie like this. I love that feeling. But agree, I think I came out with both. Like I was chatting with a friend and she was saying, because one thing I will note is that some of the dialogue is incredibly hard to hear and it it's muffled for multiple reasons and I had heard and then she mentioned that apparently Nolan was asked about it and he was like, oh, that's intentional. It's meant to make you feel disoriented. And, I mean, that kind of thing, I'm like, Nolan, Come on, mate. Like, we know you're clever. We know you're manipulating us as an audience. I just want to hear what they're saying. Like, so I was, I admire it 100%, but I do also think that, I mean, he's a very clever man and he knows it. It, It's interesting. uh, With Interstellar, there was a similar couple of scenes where we lost the dialogue. Mm. You know, one one particular notorious one during a rocket launch. Mm-hmm. Which is probably a fair do, you know, when you think about it. Totally. totally. He, everything he's doing, he's doing for a reason. And I have no, I, I mean, I wasn't even surprised when I heard that. I'm like, this isn't him overlooking that the dialogue is muffled. It's obviously a choice because it's Nolan and he doesn't, he doesn't let anything happen by accident. But, you know, uh, he, so. he is actually quite fair when you think about it because I was watching some things quite carefully. Um, there's a, there's ni- a nice and often very quick use of clues. Mm, yes. Yeah, he does try to help you along, doesn't he, mm. to figure out. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a, a shattered car wing mirror that you see quickly a couple of You points. saw that too? Yeah. yeah. In, yeah. in fact, there's actually a lot of broken glass in this film. I'd say that's one of the core <laughs> uh, visual motifs, if you will, yeah. uh, amongst a couple of things. But you're right. I do think he leads you along. You're, you're meant to be able to figure it out. Mm. I think similar to the prestige where if you're paying close enough attention, you can see everything coming and then have a few extra theories to boot once the movie's over. Yeah. Well, we're just in love with the soundtrack of this movie as well. Mm. And seeing as how it's not entirely plain sailing for anybody in this film, uh, let's have a track about a plane. 747 by Ludwig Göransson from the Tenet soundtrack album. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. The attack on the senses. That is <laughs> Ludwig Göransson's soundtrack for Tenet. And that was 747. Mm. And it's about time for us to leave on our jet plane mm. soon. And I think we've 
pretty much explored all of the corners <laughs> of Christopher Nolan's new motion picture that we can possibly do without giving too much away. Mm, yes, yeah. I think we don't want to give it away because, honestly, I know there was a lot of pressure on this film. This is like this is the one that will get people back in cinemas, and I think it's maybe a little too cerebral for that. But for me, I was like, this is why I see movies in the cinema. This is exactly the kind of movie I want to see at the movies. I think you'll still get a lot out of it, obviously, if you wait for it to watch at home. But I thought it was great and I was a bit surprised that, I mean, I guess maybe not surprised. It's a bit confusing. Some people might not dig it, but I loved it. I thought it was really cool and I'm interested to watch it again to see the bits I missed and see little, you know, markers that I may not have thought meant anything at the time. So I really enjoyed this one. And I love a good sort of Bond-ish espionage action plus the sci-fi element. Uh, it was right up my alley. Mm. Well, being marinated in time travel stories, I felt that they handled that aspect really well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure I engaged with the characters as much as I might have with another film, but that's pretty much par for the course of Christopher Nolan movies. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Apart from maybe Dunkirk, actually. But in this case, uh, it sat well with me because it was a lot of complex procedural to map out. And I've often complained sometimes filmmakers invent bits of business to get us engaged with the characters, you know, Mm, a broken mm, mm. family. or And and rather than reach for the tropes, I wanted to see the science fictional aspect of this underlined and highlighted, and they did. Mm, exactly. I agree. I think he they're not character studies and he doesn't set out to make it some, I mean, maybe Interstellar was, but for this, it's like this is action. This is about plot. This is about a mystery. We're not going to faff about and talk about the protagonist's childhood. We want to get straight in. So, and I, I agree. I appreciate that too. Yeah. So I thought it was an, an excellent film in, in zero G ratings. I'll, I'll go for a, a hell yeah rating. I think it's one of Nolan's best in zero-G terms at least and proudly add this one to the big list of, of excellent time travel <laughs> timey-wimey yeah. movies that we've studied. Actually, we did one last week, didn't we, uh, Palm Springs? That's right. Oh, very. We went gothic and now this is our time section of zero-G for the year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so Christopher Nolan's Tenet and I think – this is a movie you'll need your thinking cap on for. Mm, agree. It's a bit. It's a bit hard on us, isn't it? Really, <laughs> it is. There's a lot of questions that I still have, but uh, it's a good ride. You're coming out of lockdown, and we get this intensely complicated movie. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of hanging out for something like Wonder Woman 1984 because that's going to be action, but maybe a little less about physics. Mm. <laughs> well, look, we we can't end the episode without just passing in silence a little bit for the death, death of Dave Prouse, who, of course, was the the inhabitant of the Darth Vader armour, at least one of them, because there's multiple people who've worn the kit, but he did it first. We will go into his career a little bit later on Zero-G in a future episode because he deserves that in memoriam. And also noted science fiction author and editor Ben Bova has gone as well from over on in the United States. And these are all moments of, uh, of, of sadness for we on Zero G. And we will indeed delve into their tributes at a later date on the show. Uh, I have heard that the Japanese space probe 
Hayabusa 2 brought back some space rocks from an asteroid, landed them safely in the remote Australian outback. And there's a thing for 2020, isn't it? I just hope that they take it to some really secure (laughs) facility because there's zombie plagues and Andromeda strains and all sorts of things connected with that. But in reality, it'd just be, hey, we brought some rocks back, which is pretty cool when you think about it. All right. (laughs) That's about it for Zero G today. I thought, you know, because I'm feeling a bit backwards and forwards in terms of my emotions and uh, time travel procedure with Tenant. So we're going to go out with a David Bowie track called Rubber Band. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thanks as usual to our podcaster, Kayla Larson. And thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.